the Augustin Hosinga Show with your host Augustin Hosinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> This is episode number 750. That is 750 of the Agostino Zynga Show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga. And I hope you're doing well wherever this live podcast might be coming to you. I hope you are doing well wherever this live indirect in 4K HD podcast is coming at you. Today I'm going to be trying something a bit different. Um, usually when I do these pods, I kind of mix it up. I do sometimes recorded, sometimes I do them live streamed over on YouTube, and obviously rip the audio from that and upload them onto the audio platforms. This time around, what I'm going to do is I'm going to suspend all the alerts and stuff, and not have the chat up on screen, and just focus on rambling. I'm not too sure if that's going to work, but I'm going to try to change things up. So I'm going to have the random show which I do which is essentially a kind of, um, you know, a, a live stream on the comedy scene and stuff and the Papa verse and the Jerry verse. I'm going to have that be the interactive live stream portion of what I do, where I interact with the chat. I kind of receive alerts and stuff from people and questions via the super chat and whatnot. But I think what I might start doing now with the Axinda Zinger show, because this is more my cultural commentary sort of stuff, is just start rambling into the mic like I did before in the past, because sometimes I feel like whenever I'm doing both things on both shows, it doesn't really work. I think it probably works better just to ramble on this show, because it's mostly me just talking about shit that I'm into, as opposed to the other stuff, which is probably a little bit more interactive. You guys are giving me your opinion. We're kind of going back and forth, making each other laugh. I think that kind of works a bit better. So I'm going to try that. Hopefully, um, it goes okay. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, there's no guarantees, but let's try it and let's see what one. So on that subject, just to get right into it, because I'm not going to waste any more time for you. Um, it's been an interesting week for me. Interesting week. Interesting flipping week. I'm not going to lie. Um, really interesting week. Really weird one. Um, I feel like I've been a bit, I feel like I've been a bit stuck in a rut a little bit, you know, I think I've been a bit stuck in a rut, I've been a bit distracted with some other things that I probably shouldn't be distracted by, so I'm trying to get back onto the horse again and keep on going, and I think legitimately what I probably should be doing is what I did in the past anyway, was just kind of knuckle down for the next kind of six months or whatnot, and just focus on the work, um, focus on myself and whatnot, and just get back to that level of kind of stability, and I think things should be where they need to be, sometimes when you just put too much on your plate when you start to like try to spin too many plates when you try to hold too many plates when you try to be too many plates you end up having absolutely no plates so in an effort for me to kind of keep the plates that i have and i'm being vague and not getting into the details but it's for a reason i guarantee you i'm going to be focusing more on just making sure that i'm turning up every day and just doing the work that needs to be done and that obviously includes stuff i'm doing here includes my stuff i'm doing in my real life all that good shit because one thing i noticed 
when I went to flipping Pirate Studios the other day, although I didn't really prepare too well for it, and you know, YouTube as well, man. God damn, YouTube's copyright system. So I live streamed this set that I did at Pirate Studios the other day. Pretty fun, had a good time. But because I played, I guess because I played a lot of current stuff, I'm just going to go in there and start playing fucking techno. Fuck all the other shit. Because I guess if you play like normal stuff, sometimes it just gets all flipping. It's not even the copyright in terms of them taking AdSense, whatever. I don't care about that. It's just that sometimes if you play certain songs, they block your video. You can't even have your video seen. Like, I don't care about making money on the fucking mixes. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm hardly getting any views on them. It's not about that. It's just about fucking sharing my love of music. And then they fucking block them. So now I have to go through my whole entire video and select mute. So one day that mix actually does process because it's taking a while to process. I'm there's going to be check sections in that mix that are going to be completely mute. And you're going to be wondering what the fuck's going on. Well, because I had to flip in, you know, get that thing cut out if I can keep the video. So it's really flipping annoying, but that's the kind of nature of the beast. But one thing I did realize when I was there, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun. Um, it was really cool um, to kind of dance, have a, have a sweat, hang around and whatnot. Um, have a little bit of a drink after afterwards because I don't really like to you know get get on it or have a drink when I'm streaming and stuff it doesn't really make any sense you can't really focus too well so all of that energy you saw there was just me being powered by the flipping by water in a Red Bull I was absolutely turned up and having a good time when I came back home my whole entire jumper was covered in sweat so I think that was a good thing and then um I think I read a report actually recently some from somebody where they said like dancing and you know having your heart rate go at a certain level um you know really does help with your mood overall and there's no surprise when I left there I was flipping on fire I was literally like tingling all over the place to the point where I didn't even jump in an Uber I basically walked home because I was just so hyped and I just wanted to listen to music so I was just walking home listening to music like a fucking crackhead all the way home so that was pretty good so I'm going to be doing way more of those going forward and then of course you know trying to go to as many raves as possible because I've, I've also noticed that you know that's another part of my flipping weekly kind of schedule that I've not been keeping up with and it's not even just to get on it because I really do enjoy just going to parties and just standing in the corner like an old fart and just listen to people play and watching the fucking youngsters do their thing it's quite nice to kind of see that sort of thing and just kind of be in a vibe so i'm going to be doing more of that going forward because that definitely put a smile on my face so i'm definitely going to be start doing more of those things that put a smile on my face because why not life is too flipping short but of course the mix when it does process i'll update all of you guys and let you know and um, when it's processed and you can listen to it but in the meantime you should be hearing a lot more mixes from me going forward you'll be hearing a lot more mixes from me going forward um first of all before you continue on to the show i want to quickly mention this um because i forgot to mention this when this actually did happen but r.i.p to radical softness um i wasn't really familiar with her work i think i saw her play or i saw them play i think in like e1 one time i think so i think so i think radical softness playing e1 this is this might have been like 2019 2019 it might have been around then i'm pretty sure it's a long time ago but unfortunately radical softness died um courtesy here of ra so r.i.p to radical softness um you know friends and family i can't you know imagine what you guys are going through now at the moment it seems like the burning techno scene is having loss after loss after loss i'm not too sure what the deal is there um, but yeah, I um, really do want to kind of extend my condolences out there to her family and friends. Um, let's read the actual article. It says DJ producer was a rising star in the Berlin's underground 
community. Radical softness, real name, Leah Rose Besson has died at the age of 28. Um, Zen Z, co-founder of Paris label um, Demina Records, announced the news via Instagram post today on February 15th. Besson's passing was confirmed by their mother, who commented on a post, no cause of death is, as known. Um, from what I've been able to surmise, again, it's not my business. I know it's a little bit kind of, you know, intrusive to do so. Um, but from what I've been able to surmise, it, it's, it looks like it looks like it could have been um you know what you probably am imagining it could have been regardless of the circumstances and what caused it doesn't really matter it's just really sad to see somebody so young with so much potential um with so much promise ahead of them being kind of taken away from us um at this time and like i said before it just seems like the berlin scene or the scene in general is just having loads and loads and loads of issues like this so um i really do hope there's people over there are kind of banding together and kind of supporting each other in these really hard times it continues here a resident of the berlin party raw matinee is that how you sell it raw mantique sorry and hamburg's tilt besson was a staunch um, advocate for self-expression the establishment of safer spaces and increasing the visibility of marginalized genders in the dance music co-founder of flinter party kylix um they first emerged on berlin circuit in 2019 and quickly gained recognition of their of their hard fast emotive sound that explore techno trance infused melodies following mixes for basayani's for basayani's sorry's podcast series and regular appearances on whore um, Besson played at Resident Advisor Party at Trezor late last year. Jesus, man. So, you know, so Radical Softness was definitely on the rise. Because, again, like I said, I, I'm pretty sure I remember seeing them play in E1. I think so. I forgot what, what the party was, but it was somewhere around that sort of time in 2019. A young artist was in the midst of the steadily growing career until their death, having played Munich's um, Rote Sonne Club in Rotterdam's Poing Club the previous two weekends. Last year, Besson travelled to Pakistan to play for the Groove into the Void Party in Karesh. Next month, they were meant to play alongside Dax J in Paris. Read some tributes to Besson in the Zinzi post below. And of course, you've got some articles here with the mix and whatnot. So RIP to Radical Softness, an absolutely tragedy to see this. Um, again, I'm not too sure what's going over there in Berlin. I'm not too sure what's going over here in London because we had some issues too. But it seems like things are coming to a head. I'm not too sure if it's like a consequence of like, you know, the lockdown and COVID and people coming out and just, you know, things are not going well. I'm not really too sure if it's just like in general, maybe a, a substance thing. I'm not too sure if it's just the world and where we are in terms of, you know, humanity and whatnot but whatever it is um i think more than ever people need to kind of band around support each other hug each other and be there for each other and just try to hold each other close really in these trying time because it seems like we're all going through whatever we're going through silently and you don't need to do that you know what i mean if you want to reach out to people you can i'm pretty sure they'll be willing and able to connect with you in that regard because i feel like we all have our own um issues in our own way and um, we're all trying to manage as best as we can so r.i.p to radical softness r.i.p to radical softness and my thoughts and feelings and prayers go out to their family friends and everybody else that kind of knew them r.i.p r.i.p moving on from that one i quickly want to mention this courtesy of the new york times this is absolutely brilliant news brilliant news because of my stand you know them for fucking kanye it says Ye spends a second week at number one with vultures number one the rapper known um as kanye west collaborative album with ty dollar sign um, repeats at the top of the billboard 200 narrowly defeating an lp from yeet so Kanye has now spent a second week as a number one album on Billboard. This is really astonishing when you consider the first time he dropped the the album got pulled off so they kind of missed loads of you know streams and stats and whatnot because for a couple of days the the, the album or maybe a day 
wasn't available on streaming platforms so people had time to kind of catch up and rack up some numbers and whatnot it got put back up again when he found a new distributor and boom it's been number one two weeks in a row even though he came out even though i think jennifer lopez came out at the same time like just crazy to think about that right absolutely nuts when you think about everything he's kind of gone through quickly read the article courtesy of new york times it says yay the rapper and provocateur formerly known as kanye west has a number one rap album for the second week with vultures number one narrowly beating a new release from oregon rapper yeet vultures number one a joint lp with a singer ty dollar sign holds the top of the spot of the billboard of 200 charts with the equivalent of 75 5,000 sales in the United States, including 95 million streams and 2,000 copies sold as a complete package according to the tracking service Luminate. A year and a half ago, the always controversial Ye became radioactive in the music industry after a series of anti-Semitic remarks that left him without a major label record deal or a booking agent. Late last year, he apologized on social media posts written in Hebrew just days after giving a rambling rant that included accusations against Zionism and the Rothschilds. Do you understand how insane it is that he's number one on the two, two, two weeks in a row? This guy lost everything. Some would argue rightfully so. Personally, me, I wouldn't say so. I think in general, there should be a class of people. This is my own personal opinion, right? There should be a class of people that should be allowed to say what the fuck they want. There's just people that exist nowadays, especially for the art they create, for the services they give to humanity, who should be able to just say what the fuck they want. It's just what comes with the territory of having a yay. You can't get the yay without the fucking running on stage and taking up the mic off from Taylor Swift. You don't get a yay. You don't get niggas in Paris without him, you know, saying George Bush doesn't care about black people. It's part of his personality. So if you want this guy to exist in culture, if you want him to provide us with great music, great shoes, great clothes, great listening experiences, great concerts, great films controversy it's just going to be part of the relationship we'd have with him so people need to kind of just grow up and accept that as the case now i understand it can be hurtful when guy comes out at you and says some things towards your community that you don't like but i just think nowadays we just need to accept that more than likely more than likely this guy does have a legitimate mental illness more than likely but he's managing it like the rest of us do because I think we all have a version of a mental illness to different levels of severity. He's managing it the way he's managing it. He's refused to get help. He's refused to get medication, clearly. If that's the case, let him rock. Let him rock. You know what I mean? I don't understand what all this kind of trying to get him muzzled, trying to put him on a leash thing. It's not going to work. I don't like it. It's not going to get anywhere. And when you do let him off the leash, look what he does. Not only is this album number two, like, forget the number one thing. Just imagine doing this collaborative album with fucking Ty Dolla Sign. Somebody who I think has been very, has, has kind of flattered to deceive. He's not really reached his potential. Same as like Jeremiah, right? I think Ty Dolla Sign and Jeremiah were always in the same sort of like bracket in terms of like R&B singers who never really actualized their potential. My main criticism of Ty Dolla Sign was that his mixtapes were always incredible right he has this i forgot what the name of it i think it's like a plain i've got the name of it exactly but he's got a mixtape series that's fucking phenomenal ty dollar sign but whenever he put an album together he'd always fall flat on his face they were never cohesive they didn't really make any sense it didn't seem like he knew he had to pick beats for himself so he was all over the place but you can tell natural talent singing ability melodies um you know um writing he's on another level 
And then he gets together with Ye. He's able to kind of harness that fucking ability that he has. And then bang, they put collaborative albums together. And Ty Dolla Sign has never sounded so good. But he's always. But if you're a fan of Ty Dolla Sign, you'll know he's always had this potential. He's always had the potential to be this great. He just needed somebody great to kind of direct him and push him in the right way. And Kanye, apart from being one of the best rappers in his generation, apart from being one of the best artists in hip hop, you know, flat out, point blank, he's definitely top five. He's one of the greatest producers ever. People always say about how much he pushes people, how much he can bring something else out of you, how much he, like, think of the Rich the Kid verse on Carnival. Think of the Rich the Kid, Rich the Kid verse on fucking Carnival. Who cares? Who's been caring about Rich the Kid in 2024? Who cared about Rich the Kid in 2023? Somehow Kanye was able to pluck that guy from obscurity and somehow extract that fucking verse out of him and some other verses too in the fucking album it's absolutely insane when you think about it it's absolutely mental that he was able to extract that from fucking rich the kid and it just goes to show the genius of fucking kanye it just goes to show and i'm really excited for vultures two and three even though i know they're gonna take a long time to to drop the fact that he was able to drop this off the back of donda which i thought was absolutely hard but obviously we didn't get to listen to it on major streaming platforms someone's really heard of it but you know especially when you consider this vultures one doesn't have everybody right the song that kind of features the backstreet boy sample that didn't get cleared there's a few other songs and that didn't get cleared and it's still doing these numbers come on man come on let's continue here now yeah he's trying to make a comeback it may be working he released vultures one independently and promoted the album with a pair of well-attended listening events at arenas in Chicago and Long Island. It's Ye's first album to spend more than a single week at number one since Watch the Throne, a joint LP with Jay-Z, which logged two straight weeks in the summer of 2011, according to an estimate computed by Billboard. Vultures One earned about one million in its first week from sales, streams, United States alone. That's something that I really do give the guy credit for. The listening events, the listening parties some something that doesn't really make any sense because he does these listening events he holds them in these are massive arenas right these crazy lush venues he has this incredible stage um stage design that he has where he essentially creates this amazing massive open wide space in the middle where he just gets to run around and do whatever he wants to do right with a projector that kind of shows his image up close so people can see him around 360 in the freaking arena but there's no microphones and he still slap now, I personally prefer that. I'm not going to lie. I would prefer to see more artists just do those kind of like, almost like a club performance where you're popping up at a club, you're doing an appearance. You're just sort of like, you know, you just kind of like, you're just lending your aura to the space. You're letting people kind of see your swag, see your crew, see how you fucking carry yourself. But there's no attempt to actually sing or rap because most of these rappers, um, you know, they don't really perform well anyway live. So I'd rather not have you scream over your MP3 than just have you just, you know, swag surf and shit, flex a bit, you know, just stunt a bit and do your thing. But what Ye does is really incredible because it feels like a collective experience. It almost feels like, to, if it, to lack of a better word, or lack of a better phrase, or lack of a better description, you almost feel like you're going to church. You're collectively all going to church. You're all singing along to the tunes. You're all vibing along to the tunes. You're all just having a good time. And you're getting to see the person that you know and love down there. You hope it's him anyway because he's covered with a mask. But you get to see all the artists that you kind of know down there on the floor doing their thing also. I think that's the main way to go about it. And I think he has created something really special with that. And I wish we'd see more of it going forward. Because I've long said that I really detest a lot of these rappers who go and perform and just scream over the MP3s. It's so disrespectful to the 
audience. I'd rather you just like play a mix, a playlist of the of your best tracks, and then just kind of jump around on stage and maybe just kind of like hype man along to your songs, but don't rap over them screaming over the MP3. It's really, 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 really horrible. It continues. Um, Ye opens at number two with tw- 2093, his fourth studio album, which had the equivalent of 70,000 sales, including 79 million streams, 12,000 traditional sales. The album, which features guest appearances from Future and Lil Wayne, was helped by the release of Deluxe Version, and one of them adding a track from Drake also this week. Morgan Wallen's One Thing at a Time is number three, and Noah Cahan's Stick Season is number four, and Scissors SOS. SOS is still at number five, even though it came out last year. Yo, Scissor is powerful, isn't it? I didn't know she was that powerful. God damn it. But yeah, big up Ye. I think it's an incredible feat, especially when you consider his cancellation. He was dropped by everybody. Dropped by his label, dropped by Adidas, um, dropped by his management. Like everybody dropped him and to a point where he's 100% independent. So he must be racking up them streams, racking up the money. And it's incredible to see you can do that at his level. Now, of course, it helps that he's a legendary act. Cool, we get it. But still, it goes to show that if you buck against the system, if you do your own thing, if you bet on yourself to lend a term from fucking Brendan Schaub, maybe if you have the talent, you have the fan base, you can make it. You don't need a system. You really don't need a system to kind of, you know, carry you along. So it's great to see. It is, I swear to God, one of the best things to see. And I'm so happy to see it. So big up. Yay. Big up. Yay. Next thing to talk about here. I've been really surprised. I'm not going to lie. I've been super surprised to see the amount of people, the amount of raves, the amount of collectives that have completely boycotted E1 ever since Ravers for Palestine did this amazing post where they exposed that the founder of E1, right? (laughs) The founder, one of the owners and founders of E1 was allegedly a member of the fucking Israeli Defense Force to the point where he actually went to Gaza recently, fought in the flipping war, the genocide of the Palestinian people, came back and carried on like nothing fucking happened. So they were able to discover this, unlock this, expose this. Everybody went into a frenzy and I literally thought it wasn't going to do anything. I'm not going to lie. I just assumed because we don't have many venues, because people in London are full of shit, because the scene is a bit political and all this malarkey, I just assumed people going to sweep under the rug and kind of turn a blind eye to it little did i know little did i know that i was completely incorrect so many people have pulled away and stepped down from flipping and playing at fucking um e1 and one of the leading ones that i was surprised by right was obviously freddie k and um club verboten they both have pulled away completely and the freddie k thing is a big deal because he was meant to play this event that i was actually meant to go to on the 23rd of march and it's now been officially cancelled as a key vinyl event featuring freddie k d dan rebecca della piani and antonio d'anglesias right it's meant to be an incredible night at first i think it was billed as a freddie k all-nighter that that obviously changed but to get to see freddie k and d dan play again will be incredible but unfortunately it's been cancelled because they've all collectively decided we're not going to support e1 because of what the founder did so let's read what they said here courtesy of rave of palestine so this is a post from them on instagram it says freddie k d dan joined club verboten and others in publicly boycotting e1 in protest that its founders alleged military involvement in Israeli genocide we urge teletech and other collectives to respect the boycott and withdraw their scheduled events it continues since revelations emerged about their founder e1 has failed to take any accountability or take any steps towards remedying the trust now one of the things they did try to do 
they did publicly say the founder or the owner has stepped away and the guy in charge now was uh, you know not involved with the Israeli Defense Force even though he's Israeli it's not involved in the thing at all but people have obviously discovered that the guy had only stepped down from the role he's still getting money from the club the money from the club is still going to fund the war so it got a bit sticky so in general because of their lack of clarity in what the situation is going forward the management people decided you know it's going to cancel that club overall and the biggest thing i think they've really miscalculated e1 the biggest thing people tolerated them because they don't have many options fold is one of our best clubs here maybe the best club in the uk probably and then we don't have any other things you know that kind of come close maybe venue mot maybe uh, maybe color factory on some days but there's not many options at that kind of level but E1 was tolerated because as a club, it's fucking terrible. So I think they miscalculated it. They just assumed people would just kind of get over it and just join them anyway. But because the club was terrible anyway, people were looking for any excuse not to go there. And as soon as they found out the founder was a fucking member of the Israeli Defense Force, they were like, you know what? Sayonara. So it continues. As a company, as company house records have shown, Yuval Hen, that's the founder of um, E1, remained director and owner of E1 up until the 16th of Jan of February, um, the day after the allegations of his military service were published. And they obviously made it seem like he resigned in October when it happened, obviously in February. Um, it is therefore misleading to describe him as a previous owner and to imply that he had stepped away from it before traveling from to Gaza. Ewan's new director, Oren Arush, is the club's co-founder and Yuval Hen's business partner. We do not accept that this appointment represents a change in the direction of ethos of the club, nor is it clear that Hen has been functionally removed from Ewan's operations. Under the current management, Ewan is not safe space for ravers and DJs of Palestinian or Arab descent. We continue to call out for call for a full boycott of Ewan until meaningful addresses its complicity in a genocide. So it's pretty, again, it's pretty crazy to see this happening in real time um, for all the big parties basically saying, hey, we're going to not support you at all and basically cripple the club at its knees. And without these parties, the club is absolutely nothing because it's not built on anything. It doesn't really have a community. The community that goes there are the ones that are obviously fans of the actual party. So they're actually at the you know mercy of these club promoters these collectives these crews they're actually at their mercy unfortunately for them it continues um we urge collectives who still have events booked there including teletech glove season bass force or base force sorry base face sorry parable to respect the boycott and sever ties with his venue and we call on dj schedules to play there to e1 to withdraw from their gigs in financial pressures are preventing you from doing so we can support you through our strike fund can you see what they're saying there if the if the, you're missing out on money, don't worry, we're gonna support you. Yo, I'm not gonna lie. I don't really like how overly political the dance music scene is. Personally, I would much rather it be apolitical. I feel like political allegiances, no matter how dicey they are, shouldn't really factor into where you go and party in club. It's a bit stupid. But but I do respect people who actually do stand on their shit, who do say, hey. You don't marry up with my politics. You don't marry up with my worldview. I'm not going to support you. People do stand on their shit when it comes to clubs. I do like that, especially even DJs. So that's a good thing. I see people kind of following through. There's not a lot of people that are kind of full of shit in the scene when it comes to that sort of stuff. So let's see this post here, courtesy of D-Dan, his Instagram stories, announcing, I guess, that he's not going to be playing at E1. He said, we urge um, to communicate that the key vinyl event at E1 on the 23rd of March is cancelled after the acknowledgement of, of Yuba Hen's involvement sorry, in the Palestinian genocide. He He's one of the owners of the club um, who has been serving the Israeli army in Gaza territory 
territory. We feel like this is the right decision who was also respectively accepted by the E1 office. Pre-sale reimbursement tickets will be handled directly with the club via the pre-sale platform. You know how, just reading it aloud, you know how crazy that is that there's a founder, an owner of a club in London who, you know, went to go fight in fucking Gaza. Do you know how insane that is? It's actually insane. I still don't have an idea or why specifically that one tiny country in comparison with other countries. Don't get me wrong. I know Israel is still a big place, but I really am concerned. I'm really am confused why so many people involved in the dance music scene come from Israel in the first place. It can't just be the Jewish thing. I wonder what else it is about Israel in particular that has a huge concentration of people who are into electronic music or into dance music. Maybe they just got a popping club scene there that I'm not really too sure of, or I'm not too aware of, but it's absolutely fascinating. When you look across Europe, most of the big clubs, most of the big agencies, most of the big labels have an Israeli element to it like most of them have so it's been really hard for a lot of them to kind of come out and be like free palestine when you know they have family that live in fucking that live in fucking tel aviv and shit you know what I mean? or they have family that served in the ivf it's really fucking crazy to see this play out in real time it's honestly one of the most insane things i've seen in my life it continues clever boats also said the same thing Following our recent developments, we've resolved to depart E1 and embark once more on the quest to secure space for our community. Come March, we'll be hosting events at different venues, though what lies beyond remains uncertain. Despite the tradition, we remain committed to supporting our freelancer suppliers, blah, blah, blah. And then again, we've got one from the, um, what you call it? What, what, the, what they called again? From the safe was that safety safe unity i think it's called right i think they were i think they were one of the people that are in charge of basically being the safety team inside of e1 and making sure people are dealt you know with some level of sensitivity and whatnot they said the struggle for our liberation has many fronts we are all in support of our friends at club verboten and recognize and appreciate the huge amount of work they've done protecting and advancing um, personal freedoms we remain opposed to the state of israel and it's brutal occupation of Palestine and are committed to taking action to the end occupation however we can. Our actions here are continually evolving in co-creation with a safe only team. This is core to our practice as a collective that exists to affect change across many different liberty fronts. Um, uh, da, da, da. in recognition of the joint struggle we also committed to ensuring safe um, intuitive working environments for our team we believe that cancelling our work with e1 was the right thing to do given relations revelations of the owner and then we continue here we've got one post again from sevens that says yep i'm disgusted by the news emerging about the owner e1 blah 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 so again like i said it's just interesting to see everybody pull away and then one of the most interesting ones i think personally to see was teletech because I was surprised because Teletech are like tech head, tech house heads and, you know, tech house heads. I love them. God bless those guys. But you wouldn't actually build them up to be the most, you know, no, sorry. You wouldn't build up, not Teletech, not tech house. My mistake, I take it back. They're obviously more on the hard dance kind of, you know, side of fucking techno, which is a little bit corny, a little bit lame, personally, in my personal opinion. And you wouldn't build them up to be like overly political or overly socially aware. It all kind of feels like a bit of a cash grab, but credit to them, credit to them for severing ties with E12 because they had another big party also planned. So this is a courtesy of Ravis of Palestine. It says Teletech service ties with E1. The collective, which hosts some of the UK's biggest techno party, which is very true. They, they're definitely smashing in the UK. And, and this is definitely true. They're, they're UK wide. They're not just London specific. Um, which hosts some of the UK's biggest techno parties, has announced that all of its up-and-coming shows at E1 will be cancelled or rehoused. Every single one. 
God damn. They joined Club Verboten, Key Vinyl and numerous leading DJs who've all withdrawn from E1 in recent days. It continues here. This is the post courtesy of Teletext's own Instagram page. We are aware of the situation surrounding E1. This Friday's show, all future shows are in the process of being rehoused, cancelled until we find a viable venue option to accommodate them. We had committed 10 plus shows between now and the end of the year. God damn. We update the full once we have further news. So E1 might actually be on its knees. I'm not going to lie because losing Teletext a big loss. Because that's a big promoter, big collective, big party crew with obviously like their whole library full of DJs. They kind of support fans that kind of love them and shit. Probably sell fucking merch at E1 that does probably numbers. So they're losing a lot of people coming through their doors on a weekly or weekend basis. So this is definitely going to sting. Definitely, definitely going to sting. So I'm actually, I, I would actually be surprised to see E1 you know survive the end of the year at this rate if they don't come out and actually say hey the owners are all changing we're all kind of different directions we've got these people in charge be very upfront and open about it i don't actually see this club surviving the end of the year because they've lost a lot of big names a lot of big names this is significant win for the ravers dj collectives who help generate and um, build momentum around the boycott the withdrawal of Teletech is the largest part associated with E1 is a massive blow to the club's bottom line and remaining credibility with the techno scene. We call on parties and DJs and events to book to E1 to follow Teletech's example and cut ties with this rapidly collapsing in- enterprise. Any artists financially affected by the boycott are welcome to apply and support through our strike fund. So big up again, big up, big up, big up um, Ravens of Palestine for standing up for standing on what they're standing on. E1, I think, could have dealt with this way better. They could have been way more transparent in order to kind of make sure that people know, hey, we're not doing this for that thing. We're going to do it in a different direction. But the fact that they haven't said anything, the fact that they haven't made things clear, I feel like speaks to their intention, speaks to their mindset. And maybe it's for the good that they're going to go down, to be honest, because they're not really in it for the right reasons. They're obviously not really understanding of their community that they've kind of by default kind of had in their club because the parties they've had there, there wasn't really sensitive or understanding of it. And maybe this is kind of quote unquote their karma for it. I personally don't believe in like purposely going out people's business like this, but if you're you know if you've got a founder that's legitimately responsible for killing people <laughs> in a genocide like all bets are off you know what i mean it bloody is what it is so like especially when you look at the, nu- the, the number of deaths in fucking gaza like what last time i checked like over thirty thousand compared that to israelis i think it's like under five thousand like you can clearly see that you know it's a bit of a one-sided complete obliteration of people over there um to the point where you, you feel like they want to take out the entire place um so to have a f- owner of that club be associated with that mess you can't come back from it so it's probably not that big of a surprise to see what's happening in some cases but i am surprised to see some of these raves especially teletext being a big one uh be this kind of politically aware socially aware and kind of quote unquote do the right thing going forward and most likely i feel like it might actually improve its reputation with a lot of people they might be like you know what i don't rate teletext i don't rate the rave the raves i don't rate the people that go there i don't rate the djs but they stood on their business they kind of backed people um you know they did it because they're, they're losing our money too by not having these events they stood up for the palestinians in in, in their own way um so big up them for doing what they're doing and we're, i guess we are wait and see what's happening but i'll be surprised to see e1 survive to the end of the year i'll be absolutely shocked it's not gonna happen continuing on there's this video of Fat Joe talking about the Trump shoes, right? That's really kind of doing my nothing. 
I'm really doing my nothing because I absolutely hate these Trump shoes. I think they're absolutely disgusting. I think they're awful. But for some reason, sneakerheads, especially in America, have like started to like cap and hype beats for this shoe. They're acting as if they're like really cool because they're limited edition, because they're gold, because they're expensive. I'm like, bro, forget Trump and his views on him as a person. Just as a shoe, it's fucking ugly. It doesn't even look good. It's kind of stuck between looking like a Jordan, looking like a blazer. It's got weird paneling on it. The finishing and the quality of it is all over the place. They're terrible. And I also don't get the association with Trump wearing high tops because they're gold. I, I don't know. It's all over the place. It's a fucking mess. I think they look awful, personally, my own personal opinion. But for some reason, sneakerheads in the US have kind of turned them into like a thing. Oh, yeah, you need to get these. Uh, but I guess because they're just going for loads of money on eBay, right? They're going for like five grand, whatever they're going for on there. Because people are going to collect them because they're quite unquote limited edition. Personally, for me, I feel like this represents everything that's wrong with the sneaker industry. With people just being obsessed with buying stuff because it's limited edition. Like, if it's limited edition, it automatically means it's better than anything else that you can purchase. And I personally don't agree with that. I think sneaker culture or being a sneakerhead isn't just about buying something that's limited. It's about being into shoes, whether they're limited or not limited. If anything, being into being into sneakers is actually trying to discover shoes that aren't cool and making them cool. That's why I remember when I got into it for, you kind of got into it to kind of do your own little thing with shoes, right? You bought a pair of shoes, you kind of freaked them in your own way, you made them kind of do their thing, and then people kind of jumped on it. I think that's the actual way to go about things. I think the way these guys go about things and try to make you know, and try to just jump on the bandwagon of shoes that are already hype is absolutely shit and I fucking hate it. And if anything, again, it kind of re-emphasizes what these companies are doing, like Nike, like Adidas, where they purposely create these shoes, um, you know, and give them your know, bigger engine ranger. Disgusting. Carl Withers dies and Donald does this. <laughs> big big up NJ Ranger. Appreciate you, brother. Big up, big up, big up, big up, big up. NJ Ranger, appreciate you fully, appreciate you fully. Um, bear with me a second. I just need to, because I need to flip in, because I don't want to actually have any flipping notifications on today. I just want to kind of ramble through this right now, and then we can continue going on. So please bear with me one secundo while I just make sure all this stuff is done, and then we can continue, okay? Bear with me a sec, my friends. Bear with me a second um i think that's all done there apollo, apollo creed lows yeah I don't, I, I don't think i want apollo creed shoes i've never ever wanted to wear flipping apollo creed shoes i don't think anyone should wear apollo creed shoes i think they're fucking horrible i think they're flipping disgusting but again i could be wrong i could be absolutely wrong you get me so let's continue this. So this is Fat Joe talking about the Trump shoes. Um, I think he, you know, again, is basically saying the complete opposite of what I would say when it comes to sneak being a sneakerhead. And I think if anything, he represents some of the things I fucking hate about being a sneakerhead where people are just buying shoes for the sake of them being limited. So let's hear from Fat Joe and hear his reasons behind hyping up these shitty, shitty, awful Trump sneakers. Because I think they're absolutely garbage. But hear Fat Joe talk about them, right? I think they're terrible. But let's hear what Fat Joe has to say. Why? If you collect art, do you really know what Basquiat was into? Do you know what Anthony War or Andy Warhol was into? Anthony Warhol. Any of these artists that you was into, you love the art. So you get it. 
I guess this. But you, that's the thing, though. You don't love the art. You're you're not getting it because you love the art. You're getting it because they're limited. That's the thing that he's not he's missing. You're not buying the Trump shoes because you love them. You're buying them because people hate Trump. You want to kind of be like, you know, what's that thing called? You want to be a contrarian. You know, they're going for a lot of money. They look fucking good. That's why you're buying them. You're not actually buying them because you like them. No one's buying these shoes because they like them. I refuse to believe that. They're not buying them because they like them. They're buying them because they're being hypebeast. Separate art from the person. Now, me as a sneaker collector, I had to get my hand on the Trumps. No, you don't have. That's the thing. You don't have to get anything. That's the thing that I despise about sneakerheads nowadays. They buy everything. Jordan Brand puts out a release calendar of mainly retros. A Jordan 1, a Jordan 2, a Jordan 3, a Jordan 4, a 5, a 6, a 7. In the same fucking shape, same materials, different colorways. Who cares? It's boring. You're not demanding anything more from your brands and these sportswear companies. So it's no surprise they, they overcharge you on these fucking Jordans, give you different colorways every year and trick you into believing that, oh, this is limited edition. Bruh, maybe improve the shape. Maybe improve the materials. Maybe give me different designs. Maybe give me a story. Maybe do something special to make me want to fork out 200 plus dollars on these fucking shoes. Don't just keep selling me the same retro and telling me it's fucking different. It's like pissing in someone's mouth and telling them it's fucking orange juice. I fucking hate it. Doesn't matter. Show us the trunks, please. Y'all trying to cloud change it. <laughs> Y'all give me a trunk. Give me, give me the trunk, man. Give me the trunk, man. <laughs> they think I'm fronting. But listen, I have... Thousands and thousands and thousands pair of sneakers. When everybody flipped on Kanye, I went and bought the two most exclusive Kanye's ever. First of all, we got him. Congratulations. Like, again, being a sneakerhead isn't owning a thousand sneakers. Being a sneakerhead is being into the stuff that you're into and just buying it. It doesn't matter if you've got one, if you've got ten, if you've got a thousand. It's not really a competition about how many. Personally, I think this is more of an American thing anyway. I'm not going to lie. I think American sneakerheads are just obsessed with hype. I think European ones are probably more obsessed with, like, you know, vintage and trying to unearth gems and shit. But I just think in general, that attitude is definitely permeating its way into Europe too. I'm seeing a lot more people just being flat out hypebeast. And the thing that I hate about it is that even though I used to work for hypebeast back in the day, right, when it first started, I was one of the first flipping bloggers and editors on there. I hated the term hypebeast. It's a derogatory term. Obviously, they've kind of embraced it and twisted it. But being a hypebeast is a derogatory term. It's meant to describe people who have no brain, who are sheep. I mean, who are brainless, who let the kind of brand tell them what to buy based on how limited it is, based on all the crazy materials, based on the lights, based on the colors. That's actually the term of it. It's not meant to be something that you, it's not a term of endearment. You're not meant to kind of use the badge of honor that you're a hypebeast. If anything, being a hypebeast is the same like, you know, purpose. It's the same as like admitting that you copy out somebody dresses and stuff. That's gross. As a grown man, like wearing something that somebody else wears from head to toe because you don't have any mind of your own. Like, come on, bro. Nah, nah, I ain't doing all that. Just give me one of the sneakers. I'm not... Just show them the box first, what it says. Look at the, even the box. Look at even the box. Look at the box. Look at even the box. The box looks like, a, you know, the box that you'd get a fucking Lego from or something like, or, or, like a, or like a set of China or something. It's horrible. The box isn't even luxurious. The shoes might look somewhat luxurious. Look at the box. Look how terrible. Look at the different fonts. Look at the colors. Look at the finish of the box. It looks terrible. 
That's a special shoe in your, your regard. It doesn't even come like in a wooden box or like something metal or like a fake a fake gold bullion. That would be pretty cool, right? Imagine the if the shoes were encased in a box that looked like a gold bullion. And when you opened it up, it kind of, you know, had LEDs on the inside. Okay, maybe that's a bit different. But you just give me this black cardboard box that says trumpet like, come on, man. You got to do better. Friends and family, there's only 50 of these. Only, only, get... only 50, allegedly. Come on, bro. Do you believe that, really? You think they only make 50 pairs of those fucking gaudy, horrible sneakers? Why only 50? Were the, were the uppers made out of fucking um, fragments of fucking gold or something? I don't believe that. Come on. Get my hands on them. Once again, I'm not a Trumper. I dislike Trump. I'm not voting for him. Not now, not never. But I'm a sneaker collector into the art, so I had to find these. You know what? It's actually better if you buy them because you're a Trumper. Buying these shoes because you like Trump actually makes more sense than buying them because you think they look nice. Because they don't look nice. You can't tell me these shoes look nice. They're fucking ugly. But if you're an actual Trumper, if you're a MAGA person, cool, buy them. It's, it's going to join your collection of hats. That actually makes more sense. If you actually like Trump like that, that makes more sense. Like you buy all his memorabilia. You buy his fucking hats. You buy his hoodies. You buy his fucking mugs. Cool. More power to you. But trying to kid yourself into believing that you bought these shoes because they're good looking is fucking insane. And, and is one of the main reasons why modern day sneaker culture or being a sneakerhead is so lame now because people don't have a brain of their own and they have horrible taste, horrendous taste, especially guys like Joe, um, what you call it? Um, what you call it? What's his name? Fat Joe. The guys with all the money in the world, all the access, they have the worst taste. Have you seen fucking DJ Khaled's collection of shoes? You seen how horrible it is because you have too much access, too much money. You don't really have any discernible taste. There's nothing you can't buy. So you buy it all. As long as it's gaudy and horrible looking, covered in python and leather and cowhide and camo, whatever it may be, and splattered in fucking rainbow colors. Oh, it's only two are made. You fucking buy them. It's fucking awful. It reminds me of the time when I used to work in Selfridges and shit. And they'd always say, whenever Middle Eastern, you know, um, rich Middle Eastern people were coming to Selfridges, they would always say sometimes, or oh, if there's a bag in the back that hasn't sold, bring it out in this plastic wrapping and lie to the person and say, oh, this is the last one ever made. They don't make them usually this material, but usually it's because it's the one that hasn't sold. It would be like a bag in like an avocado green, a burnt orange or something. And you bring it out and you're like, oh yeah, this, this bag is limited. And they'll buy it just because you say it's limited. That was what people would do back in the day. I don't know if it's a, if it's a tactic nowadays, but when he's working suffrages, that was a practice. And I feel like these guys are the same Muppets that do the same thing. Someone tells them, hey, this is only 10 of these made. No evidence, no nothing. Just sell it to you and you're fucking buying it. I hate it. Now the mayor's going to call me. Everybody's going to call me. And say, you wilding out, Joe. Why you got the truck? Look, mayor's the first one. Joe, you... They're horrible. I'm a sneaker collector. They're shit. I don't know what none of these guys did. I collect sneakers. The rarer, the better. Okay, so at least he's admitting it. Let's go back there. So at least he's admitting it. I collect sneakers. The rarer, the better. That's not true. Just because your shoe is limited edition, it doesn't mean it's good. I'm sorry. There's many limited edition shoes that have come out that are terrible. Case in point, the Tiffany Air Force Ones horrendous collaboration 
waste of time that tiffany air force one was the direct um representation or example of why nepotism is bad because the founder of fucking LV, lvmh his son is the you know is the ceo of fucking um tiffany's right not because of their skill not because of their talent or anything just because they're you know the son of this guy they get to fucking design these Air Force Ones and they probably was one of the worst ones I've seen in my life. Like, especially when you think about the collaboration, Tiffany, Air Force, Nike, you think of all the history behind Diamond, you think of the history of the Air Force Ones and what they represent to fucking street culture and the fact that they looked at it as a quasi-luxury shoe. You can imagine so many interesting possibilities of what that Tiffany Air Force One would look like. Then it eventually comes out and it's just a black Air Force One with a Tiffany swoosh. You're like, what the fuck is this? This is fucking horrible. So that goes to show you that sometimes limited edition shoes, just because they're limited edition, don't make them good. So he's talking out of his ass. No, I didn't pay for these sneakers. If you didn't pay for them, can you actually call yourself a collector then? Can you talk with any kind of bass in your voice if you don't pay for anything? So you get everything given to you for free. You're saying you're you're being proud that it's like a limited edition shoe, but you didn't pay for it, and you have no evidence that it's limited edition anyway. They're just saying it is. Sorry, I didn't pay for these sneakers. They knew I had to have them because I'm the biggest in the game. Anyway, you get it, just I fucking hate them. I think they look garbage. I don't understand the hype. I really don't. Um, but again, it goes to show that modern day sneaker culture is nothing but a hype beast fucking festival anyway. It's nothing but a hype beast festival anyway. It is what it is. Moving on from that one, we got some interesting words here courtesy of Kanye regarding Yeezys. So Kanye has been going on a bit of a rampage regarding Yeezys because at the moment, Adidas is putting out a bunch of Yeezy stock without the Yeezy branding on them in different types of colorways. He's obviously not happy about it. And he made a post on his Instagram basically calling out Adidas. He's since deleted it. Actually, funny enough, he's deleted the actual post so you can't actually see it. But I do have the tweet here where somebody took a screenshot of what he said. So he posted an update picture of the Yeezy that's coming out um, soon. Hasn't got any Yeezy branding on it. It's just a different colorway that they're putting out of the remaining stock, I guess, with no Yeezy branding. And Kanye kind of went off on it. The interesting caveat to kind of mention here is that going forward, somebody actually made a post on Twitter I saw that Adidas are changing the way that they do confirmed drops with Yeezy stuff. So before in the past, you would enter a raffle, similar to what you do with sneakers. And when you won the raffle, Adidas will charge you. Now, I guess to combat bots, allegedly, but I think more to secure money because they probably got loads of this stuff available now, more so than Yeezy stuff, because I'm sure the Yeezy stuff that was done officially was done in way more, was done in a lower quantity of numbers as opposed to the stuff they're doing now. So they're probably churning out more. But now they've changed the process. Now, when you try to buy a pair of Yeezys through the confirmed app, they will debit your account of whatever the value is. Then if you win it, this, they'll put it in hold and if you win it the money will go to Adidas and if you don't it'll get refunded to you in 14 days so they kind of charge you up front and regardless if you're gonna win or not you have to wait when you win so they kind of change the process all around there. and I think that obviously has to do with Kanye not being there and then wanting to sell way well Adidas's sorry way more unofficial Yeezys so Kanye posted this on his Instagram before and this is the caption it says anybody who loves Ye would not buy these fake Yeezys I never made these colorways I'm not getting paid off of them and Adidas is suing me 
all of these celebrities the public will stand against a t-shirt or a color of my hat but when y'all see me and my children hidden from me or when you see an actual fortune cut 500 company rape one of your heroes in real life don't nobody say nothing or do nothing as far as the system goes what y'all gonna do now take my album down again freeze my accounts again threaten people to not work for me again all of these non-approved 350s are corny and everybody knows 350s been corny which is funny right like he made the shoe himself he designed them but even he knew wearing 350s is lame which is funny right because i never i never wore 350s not because i thought they were lame but because my feet are too fat they just don't look good in my feet i think 350s look good if you've got a skinnier foot if you've got a short foot if you've got a full up minus wide you wear fucking um 700s um you wear yeezy boots um you know there's plenty of other shoes that you can wear within the yeezy arsenal but you don't wear 350s because you know that sock fucking thing it kind of gives you know it gives everybody every view of all your toes wiggling in and around there so yay basically is saying that adas are suing him allegedly um millions of dollars because i think he kind of they're alleging that he misused um, marketing funds and kind of pocketed them all and his kind of clapback is like i am the marketing like which kind of makes a lot of sense in that regard but in my personal opinion i think it's twofold i think it's unfair of yay to demand his fans not to buy these shoes if they're fans of his he's the one that signed the deal with adidas he knew exactly what he was getting himself into he knew the business he knew they were going to have control of his ip he knew they were going to be snakes like he had he had to have known he's way too knowledgeable he's way too old he's way too experienced in the industry not to have known that the deal would be a bit of a fuck over but what i thought he would have been okay with was even though they were most likely going to fuck him down the line is it would increase his net worth it would give him access to money that he could have probably never attained in that short period of time because people always said um when it comes to his net worth um most of the increase came because of the adidas sales because if i'm not mistaken there was a fucking crazy stat um when you were still at adidas that said like you know yeezy accounted for like over 30 percent of the overall adidas sales right when it came to what they were doing so even though yeezy was not around that long um adidas has obviously been around way longer they still accounted for up to 30 percent of the sales something crazy so i think he should have been okay with hey they're gonna fuck you down the road but you're gonna get all this money you're also gonna get all this experience you're gonna get access to all these fucking cat factories you're gonna be able to put your work out on the biggest fucking level and then you can kind of move on from there but it seems like you know when it comes to yeah he wants everything he wants the ability to work with these big companies say what he wants do what he wants and have them always kind of do things within his favor which i think is a bit unfair personally for me i think that shit's a bit unfair but the really crazy thing about this situation is this story which i've just seen on socials or which is kind of blowing my mind right this is a crazy story so this story was published last year and didn't really get much attention look at the fucking headline yay's contract with adidas prevented him from getting long-term mental health treatment i repeat Ye's contract with Adidas prevented him from getting long-term mental health treatment, which kind of completely skewers what's going on because this is really fucking crazy. So let's read the actual article and what it says, the quote that's really concerning. But another termination clause Adidas added was not typical. 30 consecutive days of mental health or substance abuse treatment. In other words, if Ye spent a month receiving care or for significant aspects of his health and well-being, he could be forced to give up significant piece of what was then his greatest shoe empire of the modern era. He could literally lose billions. So he, he Adidas put in a term, a clause in his contract that meant if he got help, 
for all the issues that he was having, that people were clearly saying, hey, he's got issues, something's wrong with him, he would be in danger of losing everything. It would put all the control into ALS's hands because I guess they could say he's not within his capacity to make decisions, blah, 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 blah. Can you imagine how crazy this is? So essentially, Adidas are the ones that pushed him to the point of crazy, to the point where he went on his anti-Semitic fucking world tour, where he went on to talk about Hitler and he went on to kind of dispute about dispute the Holocaust. He went on to fucking, you know, insult Jews. In a way, Adidas are the ones that propagated that are the ones that encouraged it are the ones that kind of pushed him to that kind of end because they put the clause in the contract that if he tried to receive help for a consecutive number of days it would maybe show that he's not in sound mind do you understand how crazy that is in business so as much as i disagree with kanye's opinions when it comes to business and i feel like sometimes he does manipulate his fans in a way he does kind of gaslight his fans because i feel like sometimes he can be a little bit annoying because he makes it seem like his problems business-wise should be our problems like you should deal with it why are you asking us like you you, you don't share your money with us why is now suddenly we have to fucking help you in your business decisions or help you with the custody of your kids it's really strange but i sometimes understand why he's paranoid why he kind of has all these fucking fears in his head because some of the shit he goes through business-wise is absolutely insane imagine putting that clause into someone's contract imagine that being a clause in someone's contract that if they receive help for the condition that they have that's making them say all these crazy things that it's going to absolutely destroy um you know their ability to make money and absolutely take away the one thing that's actually allowing them to kind of have generational wealth and kind of take themselves as a situation they're in. imagine how fucking crazy that is so i definitely understand why he was going as mad as he was now he did actually vocalize all these things so let's actually hear from Kanye himself and hear what he has to say about the whole situation um one thing i love about this clip is that he's obviously saying this in a hotel lobby or a restaurant somewhere while he's waiting for his food but i also love the fact that he's got this really amazing lisp now because he has these fucking crazy titanium teeth in his mouth he now has this crazy lisp that is super super funny listen to him speak let me explain really clear to you guys what's happening with adidas it's not only are they putting out fake colorways that are non-approved, they're suing me for $250 million and they're also not paying me for these shoes that they're putting out that have my name on it. And they're using contract clauses and 50 years of business experience to rape an artist, one of y'all favorite artists, right in front of y'all in broad daylight. Let me explain. Really. Crazy, right? Crazy, crazy, crazy. That he said that they're raping him. I guess that's why he had to change the caption. But um, again, um, you know, I guess we have to wait to see how this kind of pans out. I don't think Addis is going to drop the case. I think Kanye Javini is right to say what he's saying. He's trying to maybe publicly shame them into doing the right thing. But I think these big corporations are not going to drop these type of capes lightly because there's a lot of money on the line. And I think, unfortunately for Ye, I personally think he just annoyed too many people, bro. I think, yeah, he's just a nightmare to deal with. Much as I love the guy, as a human being, he must be an absolute nightmare to deal with. Like, I still kind of shudder at the thought when I remember that clip of him showing those ADS executives the video, the porn video, and saying, oh, one of the guys looks like the guy that works there and kind of showing them full fucking porn on his phone. 
and then looking at him like what the fuck are you doing do you know what i mean like he's just such a mad guy he's so inappropriate he's such a combative like confrontational dude he doesn't have any kind of tact when it comes to business that's probably why him and virgil probably had a lot of like issues when they were coming up because virgil was like the consummate kind of pro when it comes to dealing with corporations and brands and c-suite people yeah he just has no ability to deal with those people at all so maybe it's for the best that he's independent but i think a lot of the vitriol i think a lot of the scamming i think a lot of the pressure that Aidas are putting them in the courts is because they just don't like him as a person they want to bury him because of the things that he said and did and um, while he was there bringing the company to disrepute and shit so i just think he has to kind of swallow that one unfortunately i think that's the kind of price that you pay when you're yay you're gonna rattle some people and you're gonna make them really get you know really kind of have their fucking fangs out for you and when i think about one of the really interesting parts of the story when he kind of left adidas when he got booted from adidas if i remember correctly he was going at some woman or yeah, some woman that was a board member at Adidas or something. And this lady happened to also be the person that was a board member, I think at Chase Bank or one of those banks that Ye was banking with. And that led to his accounts being frozen. Can you imagine that? He's having beef with Adidas executives. He's arguing with these C-suite people, these boardroom people. He's, he's naming and shaming this woman. And this woman obviously had the power to fucking freeze his bank accounts like millions and millions you know he, he lost fucking access to it for a period of time and maybe he doesn't have access to it now so it's fucking crazy to see like sometimes in, in the corporate world like you have to be careful who you piss off because they can legitimately ruin your life anyway the article um writer here just to end gave a little follow-up in terms of people asking hey why didn't this go viral at the time and i thought his um representation or interpretation of this was really interesting the writer of the article originally said um well the core piece of information was something i excerpt um from a much larger report in the new york times that filled with both previously reported new details from the years of yeezy business significant details often get lost to readers in such large pieces there's just too much information quite a few people read my piece when it was hit and many responded shocked but it certainly didn't reach mainstream traction i think that's unfortunate because regardless of the public views on yay today this clause was written in a contract preceding most controversy exactly that's the thing that people don't get that clause they put into his contract was before he said all those anti-semitic things so it's almost as if they were preempting they were hoping that he had a breakdown had a breakthrough went crazy so that they could take away his ip so they could take away all the ownership and obviously keep all the money for themselves it's absolutely crazy how they did put that clause in there and it's crazy to think that you can actually do that you know what i mean it's fucking wild um I think that's unfortunate because regardless of public views on year today, this call is written in contract preceding most controversy. In that way, it's not even a yay story to me, but a snapshot of how black creator could be set up to fail and lose billions. That much would have been clear to everyone setting up the contract going in. And this obviously leads me on to the point that I saw recently somebody made. I think it was flipping Stephen A. Smith. And he was just, I think he, because he made a point about like how pat mcafee like they can never be a black pat mcafee and i do agree with him even in the uk and europe i think it's the same i think unfortunately like immigrants or minorities just get dealt with in a different way when it comes to business which is why we need probably way more help and assistance when we do enter into those kind of boardrooms and why the margin for error for us is so much smaller really is fucking smaller um they just don't put up with the mess when it comes to us and they kind of manipulate cheat whatever it may be so you really have to kind of mind your p's and q's um not be super agreeable not obviously lick ass but just be aware of your surroundings because if they find an opportunity to fuck you over they will fuck you over that's much is true that much is true 
Continuing on from this, I want to quickly mention the devastating and quite embarrassing loss Man United um, suffered at the hands of Fulham the other weekend. Um, because I didn't mention it before because I'm still flipping depressed about it. Um, Man United won Fulham 2 at home. Um, and if anything, if you watched the game, you would have known Fulham could have won by far more. If they had their shooting boots on, if they had somebody more clinical up front, if they if we didn't have Onana pulling off some pretty decent saves and some pretty decent clearances from the line, they could have probably easily won won this game four or five one it was absolutely embarrassing especially when you can consider the spaces around the pitch I think Jamie Carragher mentioned it recently actually the spaces around the field in our team the lack of organization the lack of structure is such a reflection on Eric Ten Hag the manager and one of the things that I've been really perplexed about I'm okay with United being terrible because we've been terrible for a long time. I feel like we have, we're a club that basically hemorrhages money. We pay too much money in salaries. Um, we're just, you know, we're always going for kind of Galactico players. That's obviously hampering us. We've got, you know, we've still got players from other managers and regimes still at the club. We don't have football people there. We're kind of trying to change it now with the minority ownership of Jim Ratcliffe. All these issues going along. But one thing that I've kind of always hoped for in the short term is that we get a coach in, coach the players that we do have, and we just play some good football. Along the way, might sign some good players, and then little by little, we can improve. But in the interim, let's just play some good football. Let's, let's, let's just have entertaining matches. Let's just have high-scoring matches. Let's just have, you know, a spectacle for the fans to fucking see, because we're not going to win the trophy anytime soon. So when we hire Ericsson Hogg for his work previously at Ajax none of us are naive enough I don't think so to believe that he's going to take what he did at Ajax and copy and paste it at United obviously the Ajax system the Ajax way the academy the way they buy players the culture around the club is completely different but the way they played football was a very specific way they played I recently watched an old game of Ajax versus Real Madrid at Champions League when they're away from home superb one touch two touch football right all these technical players on the ball and you just assumed if Ericsson Hag is coming to United he's gonna want a certain type of player he's gonna want to play a certain type of way he didn't and that's why I've said from the beginning that I think Ericsson Hag is the greatest managerial catfish of all time because he sold us a dream that he was gonna play a particular type brand of football then he came to United and he completely abandoned it. And now we're like gung-ho. Now we're playing this like counter-attacking football, this fast front foot thing that we're not really good at. We don't really pressure teams off the ball. We don't really pass well. We don't keep the ball well. We're not really good at long balls. We're not good at crosses, even though we've got fucking, you know, um, Hoyland playing there when he's not injured. It's all over the place. And the worst thing for me is the organization on the pitch. We don't look like a team that trains in certain shapes. We don't look like a team that trains with certain tactics in mind. It just looks like we go out there and we kind of quote-unquote freestyle it. Certain players get the ball and it kind of triggers a, a run, a movement. Uh, you know, maybe Bruno Fernandes gets it deep and pops it over the front, over the top, and people just run onto it. It doesn't feel like there's any method to our madness. And that's the most annoying thing about the Ayrton Hogg tenure. It's just there's no method to the madness. Nothing seems like it's going anywhere anytime soon he spoke about the players coming back from injury that was going to change things it didn't even the run of games that we went on which we won if you're watching those games you would have known that a lot of those results flat to deceive a lot of those results were i wouldn't say unearned but they weren't reflective of the actual game so it's been absolutely terrible for minute one and i wasn't surprised to see us lose the way we did against fulham even though it was a last minute win um i still think they were more than just they were more than deserving of that victory 
the odd thing to come from it has been the back and forth between Jamie Carragher and Eric Ten Hag because Jamie Carragher went on a pretty detailed scathing uh, rebuttal and breakdown of United's you know shape and defense and lack thereof and he called it out really well and now Eric Ten Hag is firing back and essentially saying no you're wrong we do play a certain brand of football he's just overly critical I'm like bruh are you not understanding what the fuck is going on? And part of me now is starting to believe maybe Ericsson Hogg wants to get fired. Maybe he doesn't actually want to be here. Maybe he is doing all these things in the hope that he gets fired and he gets a big payout. Maybe that's what's actually going on because I can't understand how his brain can't see what we're seeing and can't understand why we're getting the criticism that we're getting. Even from the own fans, it's fucking delusional. But let's actually see what he actually said. Courtesy of Sky Sports News. Um, Ayrton Huggers hit back at Jeremy Carragher's objective analysis of United. United's four-game winning run in the Premier League ended on Saturday with a 2-1 home defeat to Fulham. Sky Sports um, highlighted um, why recent results have masked the problems with Ayrton Huggers' system. That's true. We said that. Myself as a fan, I've said that. On fucking Twitter spaces, on Twitter itself, on forums, on Reddit. I've said it myself as a fan. We've all been saying it. The results have masked our performances. Just because we're winning doesn't mean we're playing well. But we didn't want to listen to it. Especially with the top reds and all the fucking Ericsson Hug inners. I fucking hate them. Mark Gobbridge included. Continues. But... Eric Ten Hag fired back at Carragher's analysis ahead of the FA Cup fifth round game against Nottingham Forest on Wednesday, saying, Some analysts are objective in their comments. Very good advices. Some are very subjective. Jamie Carragher is one of them. For the first moment, he is criticizing, and now he wants to make his point. In the first half an hour against Fulham, we had a point. He had a point. Fulham surprised us with their midfield setup, and we had to find a solution. We did find it after half an hour. That's not true. We played well for maybe 10 minutes. Maybe 10 minutes we played well for. We didn't find solutions. They just sat back and waited for us to fucking lose the ball. And then they obviously countered. They absolutely tore us apart, to be honest. They tore us apart and probably should have won by far more. It continues. I wasn't pleased with the defensive performance. Again, reflection on you. Especially down on the left side. Again, um, it's on you because the team shape isn't where it should be. And that's everything to do with willingness, spirit and passion. That was good in previous weeks. Therefore, we won football games. See, again, lack of accountability and just everyone's fault but his. Footballers are not robots. Sometimes they have bad days. It was unacceptable and we have to do better tomorrow. Um, the FA Cup represents the last realistic chance of silverware for United. He says, we are unbeaten in... <laughs> these statistics, who gives a fuck? We are unbeaten in January and February. We lost one game. It was a poor performance and defeat. We are aware. We want to stay in every competition. We have to win tomorrow. It doesn't change our approach. That is for every game. I know the future, but I look at today. We work on a team development and try to win every game. Personally, for me... I can't wait until he's fired. I'm not going to lie. I'm actively rooting for him to be fired, but I would much prefer that he actually suffer this entire season with us. I don't want him to go now and we have an interim coach. I don't want all that sort of uncertainty. It's not necessary. I want the players and him to suffer until the end of the season because they've made us suffer this whole season. We play terribly. We've been knocked out of most fucking cups. We're not going to probably qualify for the Champions League this season and it's all over. Cool. You have to suffer with us too. So I hope that happens, but in the end, I feel most likely, most likely Ineos have already made a decision of who they want, who they want, because 
it, the writing was on a wall for him the moment the new owners come in anyway. If, if it was going to be the Qatari-based company buying the whole club outright, whether it was Sir Jim Ratcliffe, I think that writing was always on a wall. Whenever new ownership come in, they always want their own people. They want their own managers, own coaches. They want their own people. It is what it is. So I think he would have known that unless he won stuff, unless he was, we were playing good football, unless we were finishing the top four, it all but guaranteed he's going to be told to kind of leave, in my personal opinion. I think it'll be good because legit, He's been one of the most biggest disappointments when it comes to a coach because I didn't expect him to come in and help us win the league, win the Champions League. I honestly wasn't thinking that. I just thought he was going to come in. He's going to give us a, you know, have us playing good football, have us build a good foundation from that and go from there. But that never happened. And to be honest, he deserves every fucking criticism he gets, especially the players. I want them all gone too this summer, by the way. But I think his lack of understanding of what's happening, this re refusal to adapt his, to his refusal to implement his own style of play into the players and just adapt to them has also been concerning. His faith in certain players, um, his refusal to, to identify who the good players are and played like it's all over the place i fucking hate it but i hope he has to suffer for the rest of the season because we have suffered too because we have suffered too moving on we've got this really cool article courtesy of the guardian regarding looks maxing which i thought was absolutely hilarious because this has been something that i've kind of like got into myself in the last few years and something that i've kind of been aware of because of 4chan and shit from back in the day but it's quite funny to see this stuff like permeating through popular culture and becoming like a mainstream thing so this is courtesy of the guardian it says from bone smashing to chin extensions how looks maxing is reshaping young men's faces let's continue um, for James, it started with muscles. He was about 16 and had become self-conscious about his physique. Fearing that he wasn't buff enough to attract girls, he found his way to a bodybuilding forum and began to work out. That's the same journey for me. If you if you know about back in the day when the PUA community wasn't as toxic as it was towards the end and you read the game and shit, the first platforms that kind of spoke about, you know, um, self-improvement that spoke about girls that spoke about gym work all this sort of stuff right um, was bodybuilding forum that was the OG place that you would go and then from there you might actually go and you know real social dynamics all these other places but the bodybuilding forum back in the day I was on that bitch for a long time they weren't visitors from another online community da, da, da. Um, their general vibe was quite mean he says who prefers not to use his real name they take images of people who have posted on their improvement um, pressure physiques and they'd be like you guys forgot to work out on your faces despite the meanness curiosity pushed James over the forums which were largely focused on facial aesthetics he discovered a new world in which mainly young men and teenage boys scoured pictures of each other for perceived flaws and purported fixes. The forums harmed with brutal judgments and offered James a compelling new outlet for his insecurities. I was learning about problems that I hadn't even noticed. I had a short face. I had a short chin. My nose was too wide. My eyes were too far apart. My hairline was too high. You don't see a lot of these things until somebody points them out and then you just can't stop seeing them. So I love all these things because I've always said that part of the unfair side of like dating and relationships and shit whatever it may be is that there is just a big difference in terms of the way women can glow up and the way men can because women have makeup we don't there's no way we can structurally improve our face or no there's no way we can visually improve our face without improving it with some sort of surgery because women have the ability to literally paint their face new. They can paint a new face on top of their face to accentuate things that they have, accentuate things they don't even have, and completely transform them from like sometimes a zero to a nine. 
but men don't have that. The closest thing we have to like makeup is a beard. And even that sometimes if your face isn't right, it doesn't matter if you got a beard, right? So it, it just was one of those things. So I feel like looks maxing was such a great thing because it allowed men to kind of get to that level of makeup because you, you know, it kind of got into, into like, um, skincare routines, facial massaging routines, diet, um, working out things that would improve how your face just was put together. And sometimes even styling tips that really kind of different and kind of give you a little leg up when it came to improving your looks, um, for the opposite sex or the same sex. It continues. James had become hooked on looks maxing, an online community of people seeking enhancing to their face. It began, uh, he began to learn a strange code members use to compare characteristics, IPDs, interpolary distances, the gap between the eyes, um, the camphor tilt, the angles of the eyes, mewing, a tongue exercise that supposedly improves the shape of your jaw, and the ultimate goal is to improve your SMV, sexual market value. Now, to be fair, to be fair, if this picture is legit, he did a good job. If this picture on the screen that I'm seeing now is legit, he did a good job. On the left, I guess it's the guy before he got into looks maxing. And on the right, this is him with looks maxing. You can tell he's got an improved haircut. You can tell he's kind of trimmed his eyebrows. You can tell he's done a good skincare routine. The plump of his lips has improved. He's got a more defined jawline. He's got a good little trimmed beard going on. You can tell from his um, shoulders, his lats, he's, you know, he's got, like, what do you call it? He's got some good um, gym routine going on there. So all these things have definitely kind of improved the way he looks, his confidence with people, and obviously just his ability to attract certain people as well. So that's obviously what I love to see here. It continues. Looks Maxing has existed for at least a decade, but has exploded in recent months from obscure forums and Reddit pages into mainstream social media and TikTok in particular. Impossibly chiseled jaws, pouty lips and cheekbones as high as Egyptian pyramids are prized along with hunter eyes, those angles slightly towards the nose and a positive cantal tilt. Looks maxing influencers have gained huge followings while algorithms promote videos watched by millions. Models such as Jordan Barrett and Francisco Lavchowski have become pinups. The trend have prompted bewilderment among parents and teachers concerned that young people are finding yet more reasons to feel bad about themselves. I don't think it's that. I just think it's a lack of honesty about how much those things actually help. Because I think when I was growing up, especially when I was having trouble kind of attracting girls and shit, I I always had this confused opinion that it was always about how you looked. It obviously did matter, but it was mostly based on your confidence in yourself. But it's hard to have confidence in yourself if you're not happy with what you see in the mirror. And I think there's like it's kind of like a fine line. You can't get too into it and too obsessive of it, but it is important to feel good inside and on the outside so that you can then be your best self when you step out and you try to approach people in a sexual way, in a relationship way, whatever it may be. This is super important, especially for men. I think so personally for myself, that's the issue that I had. But again, people other people could be different. Um, it's not clear how far mainstream looks maxing has moved away from the roots in the online incel involuntary celibate communities in these spaces men blame women and feminism for their romantic failings um, they're re retreating into a world in which they pursue their own masculine ideals ideally acquiring ripped bodies in the case looks maxing strong jaws and hunter eyes this is where i hate these kind of platforms right because they're now saying that looks maxing is a part of incels it's not if anything it's the opposite Intel community are losers who kind of, you know, denigrate women and blame them for their fucking, you know, um, ills in life. Whereas the looks maxers take responsibility for their shortcomings and try to improve them to make themselves a more viable mate, partner, you know, interest for somebody else. That's what they actually do. They talk about how to improve the way you speak, 
how to improve your listening ability, your charisma, like everything, your hygiene, whatever. It's all flipping encapsulated in looks, Maxine. So to kind of attribute it or link it to incel community is absolutely ridiculous, especially if you've been into it as long as I have, or if you've just been aware of it, you'll know this is the case. So people do this all the time. It's fucking stupid. Um, it continues. The vast majority of the vast majority sorry the vast majority of the groups that we work with are now aware of looks maxing says nick nicholson sorry mick mike nicholson a teacher who runs a workshop program school called the progressive masculinity he's talking to me a day after the report by researchers at the university of college of london the university of kent found that tiktok algorithms amplify misogynistic content mm, all right um helping to normalize in playgrounds in response tiktok said it removed misogynistic content which it pro which it prohibits and questioned the report's methodology we come at this from a very sympathetic point of view said nicholson but the world that these young men and boys are inhabiting is one that is trying to increase their anxieties and potentially lead them down a path that if you're not careful can lead to an incel ideology not really it's not true at all if anything i've always i've always believed i've always believed that there should be more encouragement of men actually trying to improve themselves and approach women quote-unquote in public as opposed to fucking turning them into these fucking incel bedroom guys i think it's actually important to like have these things out there in the public and encourage because it makes men more of a uh, what do you call it? it it just improves them makes them more of a viable mate makes them more of an appealing person it makes them a better person overall as opposed to the other side of things uh, uh, you know the, the online dating thing i think has always been a bit of a ruse anyway i think this kind of emphasis on actually improving yourself on the outside on the inside so on the outside and the inside is definitely going to be better for humanity and society overall but again what do i know James was in his 20s and works in finance in the UK, started on the forums and looks maxing in 2015. When they were still in the niche, he began soft maxing tweaks such as hairstyling, skincare remedies and diets, exercise regimes. But as the site threw up an ever harsher mirror, he began seeking more extreme fixes known as hard maxing. He went under the knife in 2012, 2022, sorry, 2022 to smooth his nose. Last year, he had Botox on his forehead, threaded his eyebrows and got his teeth whitened and straightened. He is considering chin surgery, which he said would add thousands to the 10,000 he avoided the investment on his face. Jesus Christ. Okay, he's going in. The size of the chin is quite a diamorphic trait like a signal of masculinity i'm looking to vertically extend mine <laughs> by a few millimeters i love it bro imagine vertically extending your chin just coming out with a fucking matt rife fucking box imagine i just turned up one day and i was on stream i was doing a fucking content just saw a picture of me of this fucking with this fucking box chin i just turned up with my with my turkish teeth and my box chin like nothing's happening that would be so great i might actually do that actually turn up one day just like you know i mean like threaded eyebrows box chin turkish teeth just like glistening blinding you like, that would be fucking hilarious james says he stays out of the more toxic corners of lux maxine forums if anything, he thinks a new wave of TikTok has excluded much of the misogyny, but he says the potential remains for such content to stoke insecurity, some of which um, the flaws aren't fixable at all. A lot of teenagers are out there. It can definitely be bad for their mental health. Um, one of the biggest names in looks maxing is Kareem Sahim, a 22-year-old student in San Diego, California. He goes by the username Syrian Psycho and has more than 1.5 million followers. His profile picture is Patrick Bateman, the fictional serial killer played by Christian Bale. Sahim grew up in Syria until his family were uprooted from the war. 
He says, I was the only Syrian and was quite white looking despite being Arab. I was deemed an outcast and triggered something in me. Akini also dented his confidence. Sahim, who moved to the US to go to university, began trying to improve his look. He hit the gym. He treated his spots and restyled his hair and clothes and documented some of what he was doing on TikTok, where he offered advice. Um, Sahim says he wasn't even aware of looks maxing until 2022 when he posted a fast cut progress video showing how his appearance had altered between ages of 17 and 20. It's striking how poised and polished he was become. Although he accepts that boys' faces can change radically in those years, either way, the video blew up. It's been viewed 15 million times. It also went viral in the Looks Maxim forums, fueling skepticism, bordering on a contempt among original members of the community for brash TikTok avarites. Um, I get daily hate, Sami says, who also says he rejects Looks Maxim I insult tradition and that abatement and insult pinup inspired him only to improve his looks. Of course, no one actually wants to be like that character. He says he relates to Bateman's loneliness. Um, Shaheem uh, says older adults don't get Looks Maxim. There's been much more hand-wringing in the media over the bone smashing, for example, an extreme technique that involves taking a hammer to your face to put what wow i didn't know that was a thing bone smashing for example an extreme technique that involves taking a hammer to your face to promote more manly regrowth when the bones repair but little evidence than anyone actually doing it that is wild breaking the bones in your face to make them what grow bigger or something fucking hell the, the majority of the posts that you see about looks maxing are not serious adding he promotes only soft maxing but james journey shows that vulnerable kids can take this stuff seriously the biggest buzzword is mewing which shahim imposes espouses sorry a teenager looking a bit tense in the jaw area may well be holding his tongue firmly against the roof of his mouth in attempt to strengthen his jaw muscles in the bizarre clash of cultures, Mewing is named after an orthodist, uh, orthodontist in Kent who is well into his 90s. Since the 1970s, John Mew has promoted ortho, um, oh no, orthotropics. His, his controversial alternative to braces and tooth extractions, the Mew say that this, their tongue exercises, childhood um, palate expanding devices and dietary changes can improve the status of the face as well as overall health. So yeah, that's a look at an article coach of the Guardian. Um, check it out yourself if you haven't checked it out. I think it's fucking brilliant. I, I encourage everybody to dabble into look match, especially men. I think it's really important to, you know, try to get the most, to try to improve what you already have as a base because we don't have much men. We have, a, we have what, a nice jacket. We have a haircut. We have maybe some a beard shape up or whatever. Um, but we don't have much to kind of improve our looks, unfortunately, especially with the lack of you know people accepting makeup for men in conventional circles and shit it'll probably get there eventually in the world there'll probably be a time where makeup for men will be a kind of a thing that people do but now they're just not really um unless you're obviously within the lgbt community you can do what you want in that regard but if you're not it's not really widely accepted so until that comes a point that it is you have to make do what you have and make doing what you have looks maximum the only way to do it improving your skincare routine improving your fucking hygiene improving your fashion or your style for lack of a better term i think because think you know fat style probably helps men improve how they look way more than fashion would and just kind of doing the best you can to improve what you already have that is only way you can really kind of open yourself up to better options out there when it comes to dating and relationships and sex and whatnot but just in general for you just your confidence and how you carry yourself i think it's really important to kind of dibble into these kind of type of things and kind of you know because i think men can do this a bit brutally without it being a issue of like you know 
without it becoming toxic and shit i think maybe women's a little bit probably probably shouldn't get into stuff because maybe the insecurities once you open that door there's no kind of closing it but i think men can do this sort of stuff without it being too destructive i know i'm saying this it doesn't make sense but i think that's the case but big up um the looks matching community and again check the article out i'll put it in the descriptions for those of you that want to read it and check it for yourself next on list crazy news courtesy of vogue business i'm surprised by this i'm not gonna lie maybe because i hoped secretly that he would build a cold war into the uk version of fucking armani or something but unfortunately courtesy of vogue news business this is the news that i was surprised to hear i first heard on instagram it says tomorrow comes with samuel ross um an exclusive interview in vogue business a cold war founder reveals that the 100 percent sale of his brand to tomorrow limited so uh, samuel ross has basically stepped away from a cold war he's sold it completely in full to uh, tomorrow limited and he's put these two guys i think in charge i've got their names in the background but they're the ones that are going to be leading the brand going forward and i think he might focus on his own things i'm actually surprised but i'm not gonna lie i thought he was actually gonna build that brand up to be again like i said the next armani he's gonna take it to heady heights and just have it be his kind of baby but i guess he's maybe i wouldn't say probably got bored of fashion maybe he's just got other you know businesses that he's kind of trying to explore he's obviously trying to get into the contemporary art field um he's obviously got a lot of stuff that he's doing in terms of um in you know um, architecture um he's got a lot of stuff he's doing with installations sound design collaborations under his own kind of sra belt right that he's kind of doing at the moment um so let's read the article and see what the reason behind it is samuel ross was 20 years old when he began working at virgil's right he was that young fucking hell when he began working at virgil's first ever intern his duties included an um then unlaunched brand concept called off-white today 12 years on ross reveals the 100 percent sale of a cold war the brand he founded in 2015 to previously minority partner tomorrow limited um, look, look, look at that. It's a, such a brilliant picture as well, right? Um, Whitney Harlow and Virgil Abbott present British Emerging Talent Menswear Award to Sammy Ross at the Fashion Award 2018. That's such a special picture, isn't it? Virgil handing, um, his once intern an award for emerging fashion designer. That is what you actually want to see in it when you're bringing somebody up. Like, again, that's what we miss actually in fashion nowadays. We miss, we don't really have people now in fashion who are giving us the behind the scenes stuff anymore i think if you noticed it online there's no more there's no more like cool behind the scenes studio stuff and he's me working on a collaboration here's me drawing type of things anymore that's completely gone virgil's the only person that provided that snapshot of like what it is to be a modern day creative director we don't get it now and now we just get the stuff you know in your face when it's finally done but there's no more behind the scenes you know um in the in the process of working things anymore which is really a sad shame really so i repeat to him but that's a beautiful picture it continues while ross and stefano maria uh, while ross and stefano martinentio co-founder and ceo of tomorrow limited did not disclose the precise terms of the private deal um martinentio shares that the gmv total revenue before deductions of a cold war amounted to 16 million god damn yo cold war makes paper that's a funny thing i don't actually i'm not gonna lie maybe i don't go to the right places but i don't actually see a lot of people wearing a cold war in real life i'm not gonna lie I know there's a big community of kids that love a Cold War online. There's a massive fucking Facebook group of people buying and selling um, a Cold War. I see the kids in the comments, you know, they love fucking Samuel Ross. But I really don't see a lot of people in real life wearing it. Not going to lie. Really don't see a lot of people wearing it. So it does go to show that they quietly do great business online. 
without crazy fanfare and without influencers without all these fancy street style pictures they just do they quietly sell and i think that's what i would prefer if i was in fashion and i had my brand i'd much prefer to be quietly selling than be all out you know like hellstar like you're everywhere on all these pages and shit but your business maybe isn't all the way correct but again who knows it continues it's been amicable and fair the terms of the sale reflect the strong future for a cold war what began as a bedroom startup nine years ago is now a global business with multiple concepts that's a that's a brilliant fucking flex in it a bedroom startup something that he was screen printing at home spray painting air force ones dip dyeing them and shit removing laces all that shit he was doing i still remember that fucking crazy fashion show that he did where the person kind of broke through the cube or something it was like a cube or something right he was doing all these really amazing um, theatrics on his shows and i remember some of the guys on the show studio panels were like hating and it's super hard again you know standard fashion shit you know when you're black and you're from a certain type of background and you don't go come through a traditional fucking fashion school there's always a little bit you know there's always a simmering or fucking dog whistling going on there and i remember they were hating on that a lot oh it's too theatrical it's taken away from the clothes now look now fucking look after serving time as a label's licensed distributor partner um, and hitting 52 doors by the end of 2017 tomorrow limited made its first minority investment in cold war in 2018 that was the very beginning of the new business model for us says martin entio since then tomorrow has emerged as a dynamic incubator emerging brands um, across fashion uh, executing key operational functions from manufacturing while um, off, uh, affording its creative partners the freedom to develop their brand entities i'm not going to life for the longest time i always assumed a cold war minority stake was with new guards group i thought they were the people but i guess new guards group the company that was um invested in off-white um uh, with virgil i guess they were i guess i confused that with heron preston i think virgil got heron preston a deal with new guards group which obviously let heron preston kind of develop that brand into what it is now but i, I found, for some reason i always confused tomorrow with new guards group but i guess they're completely different other tomorrow investments since a cold war include Cop um, coperni martin rose charles jeffrey loverboy yo it's been pretty crazy to see charles jeffrey loverboy just be completely um you know embraced by the black community black people love charles jeffrey loverboy specifically the hat right the little bunny ear hat thing they fucking love that hat i don't know why it's become so popular but black people especially in america they fucking love charles jeffrey loverboy so that's been great to see um um Coyville and artist daniel arsham's apparel project objects for life and um, it's also a, a early partner in ambush oh fucking ambush i fucking hate ambush before the group was acquired by new guards before the label was acquired by new guards group in 2020 um it invested in the progressive label oh really it's also invested in the uh, the the retailer machine a okay cool so they've definitely got ties. I guess it's definitely the UK company too, right? There's obviously um, Samuel Ross there with, I guess, the person from Tomorrow, right? The CEO um, and founder of Tomorrow, whose name is Stefano Morienti. So big up them. It continues. Um, Morienti says that while the earliest investment in the Cold War was from minority stake, we were talking about a full acquisition today. And our most recent deals have been minority investments. The reason behind this is the resources needed to launch and protect a brand are way more in the past. Um, and, and through doubling down with the winners, we see opportunities. Ross and Moriento have been co-professional confidence since 2018 and the CEO credits the designer as being instrumental in both Arsham and Rose's onboarding on tomorrow. Is it? Really incredible. So um, Sammy Rose played a role in getting Daniel Arsham signed on to there. 
and obviously them signing Martin Rose. Great. Big up Sammy Ross. Um, one of the biggest agents out there, right? Sammy Ross was instrumental in my decision to invest in Martin and I suspect also in Martin's decision to accept the investment. The brand will now be led by managing director Giovanni De Marchi and creatively led by art director William Solo William Slocomb William Slocomb Slocombi or Slocomb and brand director Liam Hasimi. Mariento says that the team has been decided not to appoint a new creative director and instead they will take collective approach. Oh, I love this. So Sammy Ross isn't a creative director anymore. Those two guys, William and Liam, will lead, um, I guess it, with everybody else's input as well. I like that. I kind of like that. I'm not going to lie. Because um, the codes are already there. The codes of a Cold War are already there. They're kind of laid, you know, it's kind of a bit obvious to see what they do. And if you've got any kind of design, creative kind of, you know, talents about you, just tweaking that along the way is pretty easy thing to do, I'd imagine. And obviously improving and evolving um, as you progress. It says here, um, a Cold War is a small brand, but it's got a, it's a global brand. It's expanding as well as in the UK. And of course, its audience is mostly in North America. Ah, oh, that might explain why I don't see a lot in the UK. They said the audience is mostly North America, China and Korea. I had no idea it was so big in China and Korea. That's pretty cool. There are currently two brick and mortar stores in China and several pop shops and shops around the world. Morita says that the further expansion is planned. Yeah, true. So we're definitely going to see a London retail store probably very soon in, in, in a major Western city, you'd imagine, in the next couple of years. So I'm, I'm be excited to see how that kind of pans out. I love some of the advertisement there. Very Stone, very, uh, Stone Island-esque. Um, that's great to see. As for Ross, he is stepping away satisfied great wow man big up summer ross man again as much as i would love him to stay and build a cold war into the next armani he just got too much on his plate probably got way a lot so many opportunities and i think sometimes it is good to step away at the top right while you're at your pomp while you still got so many years to kind of you know he's still not in his peak at all it's probably best to step away now than to wait when it, things get really terrible it says as for ross he's stepping away satisfied a Cold War has 10 full-time employees and most have been there for six or seven years. There's still the very intimate way of working because people actually can scale and grow a career and have control over the brand producers, which goes back to my original idea of being a young startup and finding a new way to grow in fashion. Big up him. His next idea will be revealed in due course. However, he adds, my goal is now to design products and other entities under my own namesake, which is my... Exactly. I always got the appeal. I always got the feeling something i don't know what changed him but i think something happened i think he fell out of love of fashion with a capital f that's my theory i think somewhere along the line he just kind of got put off with fashion in general and started to go down the more um being a contemporary artist being a quote-unquote designer with a capital d which i i think is a far more interesting path anyway i think being a fashion designer is pretty limiting there's not really much you can do outside of just redesigning the fucking wheel but i think when you become like an all-encompassing wide-ranging designer artiste um you know with a capital d and an a i think the the options are unlimited from scoring movies to designing movie sets to installations to building buildings interiors fabrication like music it can just you know there's so many options but when you just limit yourself to fashion there's not much else you can do apart from just making shit hot products and kind of just churning them out and i think that there's people obviously that can do that now but i think if you actually have you know a lot of talent, a lot of skills, a lot of interest. I think actually stepping away from fashion and being 
that kind of guy is probably the better way to kind of go go about doing things. I think that's why I've always kind of looked at people like Hiroshi Fujiwara as a really good example of somebody I always kind of wanted to emulate. Someone like even like a Tom Sachs being a good example, somebody I wanted to kind of emulate because they've had this kind of career where it's not really been, you know, they dabbled in fashion. It's mostly been a designy type of thing, right? So if they want to build furniture, they build it. If they want to design, you know, if they want to collaborate on electronics, they do it. If they want to do collaborations with, you know, spaces and art projects and exhibitions, they do it. It's all kind of, there's a broad range of things that they can do. And it's all about telling their story. It's all about sharing a vision of the world. It's all about inspiring. It's all about, you know, all these type of things that you can do that just kind of, it falls outside the remit of a very limited scope when it comes to fashion. Fashion can be quite, you know, there's a lot of things you can do, but also it's quite limiting because, you know, at the end of the day, it's still fashion. Um, that's basically what I was saying there. So big up um, a Cold War, big up Sammy Ross. Absolutely love to see it. Um, great to see a young black man be able to kind of take, again, a bedroom startup to this level where he's probably cashed out in the millions right that, that goes without saying um and now he's kind of you know probably going to take his own namesake brand that he's obviously been pushing and using as a kind of platform because it feels like in recent times there's been a lot more of the watch collaborations i think i, I forgot what else he kind of done by his own label i forgot but it's it, i've seen a lot more of a shift of him kind of moving more towards representing himself as opposed to a cold war so he's kind of separate himself from a cold war do his own thing and kind of rewrite that and go from there so it's been cool to see so big up a sammy ross um fucking love it and hopefully i'll uh, great to see how a cold war develops and goes from there and i can't wait to see when they do launch a london store because i feel it i got a feeling that's gonna happen sometime very 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 soon moving on from that one um and this might actually be the last thing this is courtesy of supreme so big up supreme big up blood clark supreme so supreme have released news about their new north face collaboration that's going to be dropping i think on thursday i'm assuming and i can't lie this is fire this might be one of the best supreme north face collaborations in a very very long time so especially when you consider some of the does they've had in between so it says supreme and north face have worked together um, on a new collection for spring 2024 the collection consists of a split taped seam shell jacket noopsy jacket six panel waist bag as well as a spring summer top and a crew neck short and a bear and as you can hear from what i said yes it's a split design so they put together this North Face design with the jacket where you got a noopsie that is split in half. So essentially, if you buy two jackets, you can keep swapping the pieces and have two different designs. So on this particular design, you've got two different types of camo. You've got red, you've got the regular green. On the jacket, you've got the whole black. And on the noopsie here, you've got another camo with the black. And on the other noopsie, you've got the purple and the kind of off-white creamy color that kind of looks like a previous collaboration that they did in like the early 2000s. So I think it's a really cool design. I really fucking like it i definitely wear everything from this collection um so you got here a regular noopsie jacket in the red and a camo you've got another noopsie here in the all black you've got another noopsie here in this kind of purple and um off-white ivory type of colorway which might be one of my favorites i'm not gonna lie apart from the camera this might be one of my favorites it's purple and off-white colorway it's absolutely great with the bear as well matching on it you've got obviously the the taped seam I guess you've got uh, the zip here in the back. I'm not too sure if it's... I guess it's, it's probably taped, right? Because you wouldn't want this, the water to kind of seep through here. But I do love it. And obviously, you've got the hat as well. Like, look at this. Look. Look at that. With the split. You've got the split hat as well. That hat's going to be... That hat's going to fly off the shelves. As is this jacket. This jacket is fucking hard. With the camo look on it. Because I think, actually, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I think 
I think the camo probably works best in the zip up jacket, in the zip up kind of hooded jacket, and then the the North Face, sorry, the Noopsy kind of looks better in this kind of off white bone colorway in the purple colorway. But it looks so beautiful, and then you've also got the long sleeve shirt that features the. I think it's a badge design from like the nineties with the box logo um, words around there on the side. You've also got a pair of shorts and a t-shirt. But it looks fucking great. As you can see there, it zips all the way through from the back and to the front. And then you can then zip them up different bits and pieces and kind of mix and match as you please. I'm sure there's somebody out there is going to try and zip this upside down as well. I'm sure that's going to be a thing. But it looks pretty cool. You got there, you got the, you got the different colorways of them. You got the all black version as well which is pretty cool and they're they're the three colors that you can buy basically so you can buy the camo the ivory and purple and the all black um i'd probably say if i was going to purchase it i'll probably get the purple and the ivory one and then get the camo in the app in the other in the other jacket which is the split what you got is a shell jacket this this shell jacket although it looks really hard in this colorway i think it probably looks the hardest in that camo it looks so tough in the camo in that red camo with the green camo as well it looks fucking incredible so i love all of that and again one of the best supreme north face collaborations in a very 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 long time i'm not gonna lie there's also a, a there's also a jumper sweatshirt here as you can see it's not a long sleeve it's just a sweatshirt i take that back i've always a long sleeve and then you've also got a t-shirt which looks great you've also got a pair of shorts and you've also got a bag which looks fucking awesome and then the hat the hat's gonna be a fucking big boy um purchase for a lot of people out there the hat's going to be very very popular that's going to fly off the shelves you've got half and half camo and you've got the half and half um you know cream as well and you've also got a bear that comes with it that's also going to be very popular so crazy to see love to have to see it i think that's dropping on the thursday if i'm not mistaken yep it says here available um february 29th and available in japan on march 2nd so big up supreme for that one looks absolutely fantastic i love every 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 bit about it and i think it looks absolutely barnstormingly great anyway my friends this has been the agassino zinger show episode number 750 750 can you believe that 750 dragon zinger show it's been a pleasure to have your company it really flipping has if you watch this show for the first time listen to the show for the first time please make sure you leave me a five star review wherever you listen to it if you're watching this on the live stream like the stream down below that'd be greatly appreciated leave me a comment if you want to let me know what you think of the show any questions i'll be more than happy to answer them for you um now we're also going to be playing if you listen to the audio side of the podcast my cheer today my cheer today today is going to be Solange Almeida because I recently went back and listened to When I Get Home the album she dropped in 2019 because I forgot how fucking hard that was so I'm going to be playing that as an outro so if you're listening to the audio side of the podcast you'll hear Solange Almeida playing from her album um, When I Get Home so definitely check that out if you're watching via the video side of the podcast you won't hear anything unfortunately you're going to want to get taken down in copyright so I'll just fade to black but thank you anyway for checking me out it's been a pleasure never a chore and I'll see you guys again very very soon take care my friends Bye. He's a black gold face, black face, still can't be washed away, not even in that Florida water, not even in that Florida water, in that Florida water, one more drink, sip, 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 sip. Hey!
need to 